and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. First and foremost, I wanted to let you all know that I was once again asked by some of my favorite people in the podcast world, the 13 podcast, to play a character on their show. We recorded this episode back in December, and I've been dying to tell you all about it. Ian really outdid himself with the story, and Brooke, Bridget, Liz, the whole 13 crew did such a great job on this incredibly creepy story. So check it out now. The episode is called A Ghost in the Old City. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Also, before we begin, I wanted to send a message from listener Heath to Taylor and Lauren. Congratulations on your new bundle of joy, baby Lucy. Okay, Let's jump in with a story from James Bowden. You know James from the very terrifying stories Don't Look and Toby, both of which I've seen listeners list as some of their favorites. Well, guess what? James has a book out called Whispers in the Dark, 12 Chilling Tales. You can get that on Amazon and I'll leave a link in the show notes. My copy just showed up today. It's also available on Kindle, but I wanted a physical copy and I'm so excited to sit down and read it after I'm done with this. And yes, James is scary to sleep certified scary. You can see that right there on the cover. It was so cool seeing my show's name in print. Go buy James's book. And while you do that, listen to their latest story. Here is... The Midnight Train. Ethan hated Saturdays. That probably sounded insane to any normal human being, but it was true. Saturdays were just the actual worst. There was a reason for his hatred. He wasn't hating the wretched day on the grounds that he was no fun at all. But it wasn't something deep or meaningful either. It stemmed from the fact that he was something of a public transport aficionado, and he lived in an area of the Montelager where public transport was a bit thin on the ground. Because of that, organizing a work schedule around it had always been a bit of a challenge. On Saturdays, when Ethan worked the late shift at his grocery store job, he always had to rush at the end of his shift to make it to the commuter train on time. Unfortunately, he would often have to sheepishly call his roommate when he missed it, which Seb never enjoyed. It was on a Saturday in mid-May when Ethan enthusiastically missed the train again. And when he went to call Seb for a ride home, he remembered belatedly that he was out of town for a concert. Fuck. What now? Ethan grumbled as he paced around the empty terminal. He'd already bought his one-way ticket from the automated machine, ensuring that he'd just wasted six bucks when the next train wouldn't arrive until 8am the next morning. As he paced... Ethan went over his options. Option A, walk at night, 20 kilometers home. Assuming his walking speed was half of what his biking speed was, then that would take him about eight hours. No big deal. Option B, call his mother. No, just no. Option C, sleep in the terminal. 
or Ethan could always walk up the Rue Saint-Jean and find the little hotel he knew was along there somewhere. But truthfully, after an eight-hour shift, he just really didn't want to walk that far. Plus, he couldn't exactly afford something like that. And a taxi ride was just out of the question. And ride-sharing apps? No way. Ethan was far too paranoid for that sort of thing. So, sleeping in the terminal, it was. Truthfully, the only thing Ethan really needed to worry about was passing cop cars. A lone man loitering in the train terminal might be cause for suspicion, especially when no trains were coming for a few hours. Because of that, Ethan exited the terminal and moved onto the platform. It was a good few meters long in both directions before it tapered off to rocks and gravel, and an iron wrought fence, or some sort of more cheaply made copy, separated from neatly trimmed city grass on either side. The upside was the platform side to the right of him was pretty well hidden by a brick wall, parking lot, and some shrubs. Ethan could curl up on a bed of rocks and the police wouldn't see him, and by extension, not fine him for loitering or whatever. But if they arrested me, at least I'd have somewhere to sleep tonight, Ethan thought with a slightly hysterical giggle while he walked back towards the platform that ran along where the terminal was situated, and he sat down on the cobblestone pavement. He positioned himself so that he was less likely to be spotted by passing cars, and he dug a book out of his backpack. With Robert Louis Stevenson keeping him company, Ethan settled in for a long, lonely night. Ethan read and dozed, not daring to check the time on his phone for fear of losing all the battery power before the train came in the morning. It was during one of his naps that he heard the rumbling of an oncoming train. This wasn't so uncommon, as the line was used for freight trains as well as commuters, but something was different about this train. It was making a distinct chuck-chuck-chuck sound, like one of those old-fashioned steam trains. Ethan cracked his eyes open, wondering in an absent sort of way if his ears were playing tricks on him. At first, Ethan didn't see anything except the glow of a headlight on the tracks. It wasn't the bright white of a modern light, but more orange, like a firelight. Ethan sat up a little straighter as he listened and watched. As the train got closer and fell into the light of the street lamps, Ethan's eyes went wide. Even knowing nothing about trains, he knew this train was old. The engine was coal black and bore a pointed base at the front, with a round face and narrow chimney that was billowing some kind of white smoke. The wheels on the engine were enormous and made a grinding sound as it approached the station. It screeched suddenly, causing Ethan to jump to his feet, and he blinked as the engine slid past him at a crawl, the wheels shrieking as it slowed to a stop with an almighty hiss. And one of the cars halted right in front of where Ethan stood. Blinking dumbly, Ethan watched as the doors at either end of the passenger cars clattered open, and people in weird clothing began to step off. 
Ethan stared as he tried to figure out what was so... off about the people and the train. Something... something he couldn't put his finger on. As the crowd of passengers petered out, a man in an official-looking uniform with an odd, squarish sort of device around his neck moved onto the top step. He held out a gloved hand to Ethan and motioned for him to come forward. Uh, are you going to Paincourt? He asked timidly, but the man just motioned for him again, which Ethan hoped was a yes. Feeling decidedly uncertain of himself, he cast a glance to the train car one last time. Above the windows, it read, Pacific Rail, in peeling gold letters, which struck Ethan as even more weird. What was a Pacific train line doing all the way on the other side of the country? Still, the enthusiastic motioning of the ticket taker, or engineer, or whomever the man was, gave Ethan the impression that he was, hopefully, going where Ethan needed to go. Nervously, Ethan grabbed his backpack and dug his ticket out of his pocket. He stepped up the iron steps and handed his ticket to the man. And he blinked as he watched the man press the ticket into the top of the device around his neck, and it made a clink-clink sound, like he was depositing coins, even as Ethan saw the ticket disappear into the device. What the hell was going on? Upon closer inspection, Ethan could see that the thing around the man's neck was full of strange-looking coins that he didn't recognize. At the very least, they definitely weren't Canadian currency. Once the last of Ethan's ticket had been eaten by the machine, the man motioned for Ethan to enter the train car. He shuffled in, looking around curiously, and sat down in an available window seat. With a jolt, the train started to move again. The distinctive chug-chug-chug of the engine was even louder upon the train itself, and Ethan gazed out at the departing platform, at the people still meandering away from the train. At least, until they moved to step off the platform, and they vanished into thin air. Ethan rocketed back in his seat, his eyes wide. What was that? Ethan barely had time to comprehend what was going on before the train screeched to a halt again, and a few passengers got up to disembark. It was something of a relief that the train seemed to be following the usual commuter line, though it sort of paled in comparison with Ethan's latest discovery about this weird train. That is, that all the passengers were transparent. Most of the passengers, despite apparently being ghosts, which Ethan found a little bit hard to believe, but what else could they be? Were men. Their style of dress seemed to be that of upper-class businessmen with tall black silk hats and golden pocket watch chains poking out of the breast pocket of their suit jackets. Most of them had their noses buried in newspapers that were as transparent as they were, and when Ethan got up to inspect them more closely, he saw that all the papers had different years on them, ranging from 1877 
all the way up to 1904. If there was a significance to the variance in the dates, Ethan didn't have a clue what it was. A few more passengers entered the car. This time, there was more variation in the people coming on the train. There was a woman with a 1920s-style flapper dress that seemed to fade away into nothingness around her midriff. A little boy followed a man in, their hair singed and skin stained coal black with soot. A teenage girl walked in in more modern clothes, her eyes watery and cheeks shining with freshly shed tears. The girl sat down next to Ethan as the train began to move again, and Ethan felt a chill cross his arms, like someone had opened a window on a bus in the dead of winter. Ethan shivered, and he stared down at his lap as he watched the girl pull out her phone and gaze down at it. Too startled to even hope to be stealthy about it, Ethan stared at the ghost girl's ghost phone, and as she clicked on the lock screen, he caught a glimpse of the date. July 6th, 2013. Even when Ethan didn't know much about trains, he knew what that date meant, and he felt a shiver course through him. That was the day of the terrible Lac Megantique train crash that killed 47 people. Ethan felt another chill rush through him as he wondered if that was what connected all these people. Train crash victims, maybe? Ethan got up, gripping tight to the rattling seats as he walked over to another man reading the newspaper. And when Ethan squinted at the faint, transparent headline, he saw that it was about some kind of train accident. He checked another, a woman reading a book about some sort of explosion during the construction of the CP rail line. The train jolted to a stop, and Ethan staggered, unprepared for it, and he gasped as he fell through the woman, and he was given a sensation not unlike being plunged into ice water. He jolted back, shivering. But the woman didn't respond to his presence at all, like he wasn't even there. Ethan hastened to an empty seat, noting as he did so that his previous seat was now occupied by a man with no head. The head in question being held under one of the man's arms like a soccer ball. He was too unnerved to really try and investigate how that injury had occurred, and he cast a glance out the window. When he noted where he was, he realized that he only had one stop to go before he got home. Relieved, Ethan hastily got back up, slung his backpack over his shoulder, and patted his pockets to make sure he had all of his stuff then hurried to the end of the car in order to exit. It took less than a minute for a normal train to jet from that stop to the one he used, and it was about the same for this old-fashioned train, and it had already begun to slow down by the time he made it to the stairs. Ethan hopped off and took several steps back, watching as a cluster of ghost children and dogs headed onto the train. 
The official-looking man from before accepted coins from all of them, even the dogs. Then, the train chugged off again, disappearing into the ether. story is by a new author to the show, Matthew Stinson. I really hope I did this story justice. It's a beautiful story. This is forever. something, to have it taken away without it changing you. The funeral had been a trying affair, to say the least, an endless parade of barely remembered relations offering me prayers and thoughts, as if those things would fill the Gerald-shaped hole that now existed in my life. The casket sat open, and the man whom I had spent the best years of my life with lay unmoving, like a plastic recreation of him. It didn't seem real. It couldn't be him. He was too vibrant, too full of verve to be that thing in the casket it had to be a lump of wax shaped like my husband I left without saying a word to anyone I owed them nothing and wanted nothing to do with putting the husk that was my husband my life into the ground I sat in the car for about 45 minutes when I got home, staring at the little emblem on the steering wheel. It might have been 45 years for all I knew. Ages could have passed while I sat there, trying desperately not to go back into the house I had shared with Gerald. When I finally managed to pull my eyes away, I looked up at the house it seemed wrong shaped differently like a yawning maw waiting to swallow what was left of my life it was a thousand miles away consuming even the light that tried to escape its edifice that or night had fallen while I sat in the car I got out and I heard someone approaching, our, my, next-door neighbor. Hey, Susie. I just wanted to say how sorry we were to hear about Gerald. He was a really swell guy. 
Karen and me just wanted to say we'll be praying. Go fuck yourself, Marty. I slammed the door in his face and threw my purse on the ground before slipping out of my shoes. The hallway that ran the length of the house stretched for miles. I just stared down it, wondering what to do with it all. Pictures of us dotted the walls of it, and there didn't seem to be enough. Thirty years of living with one another should have amounted to more than a small ranch home and a dozen photos. I managed to make it to the living room, the hearth lined with still more pictures of the man I loved and the life we had built. Just the two of us. We never managed kids. It was my one regret. I eventually wandered my gaze to the old chair that Gerald practically lived in during the evenings. He would do crosswords, watch the occasional football game there. Hell, he even tried his hand at cross-stitch that one time. (sighs) I froze as my gaze bored into the chair. Someone was sitting in it. Their back was to me, so I couldn't see who it was. It was a man that could be seen from the broad shoulders and the square suit coat he wore. But then he turned, and all the life seemed to drop out of my feet. My insides twisted violently, wrenching in contorted knots. It was a barely audible gasp. He jumped to his feet and had me in his arms in a matter of seconds. I felt my legs go weak, but he kept me standing. How is this possible? I whispered as I clung to his chest. He smelled the same. Old spice and coffee. I took a deep draw and it filled me with incredible warmth. I looked up, and he seemed ten years younger than when I had seen him last alive. I don't know, he said. His husky voice was a choir of angels. It drowned out all other sounds. But let's not look a second chance in the mouth. It's been a week since Gerald came back to me. God, I love him. And he loves me. He whispers it at night. I love you, Susie. And it fills me with such ecstasy. I haven't left the house since he returned. There has been the occasional relative pounding on the door, ringing the house phone, but I've ignored them all. Most days... I felt too weak to get up from the bed anyway. Let them all sit out there in the cold, uncaring, out there. I will live here in the warmth of our home. I will stay here with him, 
not wasting another moment on anything that isn't us. Every time I see him, he looks more vibrant, more like the man I knew. But I've gotten... more tired. I feel so bad because I can't keep up with him. I hope I'm not coming down with something. But that seems a foregone conclusion. I lost several of my teeth just yesterday. He tells me he doesn't care. He tells me that he loves me and my happiness is all that matters. Even when my hair started to fall out. And my fingernails. But it doesn't matter. Because he loves me. And as I grow sicker, he seems to get younger and stronger. He's alive. I don't need teeth or hair or skin. All I need is him. Forever. You know, one thing I've always struggled with is finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. Plus, I am not the best with numbers. But now, I use Rocket Money and it does all that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. And I know you do not have the time or mental bandwidth to deal with customer service, but don't worry, they'll deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 5 hundred million dollars in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. That's rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. Rocketmoney.com slash scare you to sleep. And last, but definitely not least, we have another story by Tracy Carville. Tracy was inspired to write this by the true case of Kanika Powell in Maryland in 2008. This story gave me so much anxiety. No joke, I had my husband install an alarm on the front door of our apartment. It really got under my skin. If you have any serious triggers surrounding stalkers, then skip this, and after you listen, go read about Kanika. I won't say much, so I don't give anything away. Tracy, you did an astounding job on this. It really got to me. <laughs> this is... Can I come in? Have I been in Fort Avento before? No, I don't know this part of the world at all. Oh, I thought not, otherwise you 
wouldn't be so upset about staying. Magnificent When the buzzer rang, Carolyn looked up from her computer in surprise. It was nearly 8 p.m. She wasn't expecting anyone. Who could it be? A neighbor? The building manager? Her confusion kept her frozen in place until the buzzer rang again. Only then did she reluctantly get up and cross the room to where the entry phone hung by the apartment's front door. She picked up the handset and raised it slowly to her ear. Hello? The voice was distant and tinny, but definitely male. Hi, is this Carolyn Price? Yes. Her eyes shot to the small video screen above the handset's cradle. The figure in it looked tall, though it was hard to tell since the camera pointed down from above, was wearing a dark-colored suit and carrying a duffel bag. His facial features were blurry and indistinct on the small screen. Who is this? FBI, miss. Can I come in? FBI? Carolyn hesitated. Do you have ID? The man paused before rummaging in his jacket pocket and pulling out a square folded item, like a wallet, which he held up close to the camera. So close, in fact, that the item went out of focus and she couldn't make out the details on the little badge inside, except for three big blue letters. FBI. Her hand floated toward the button to unlock the downstairs door, finger outstretched before she hesitated again. She could see enough to tell that there was no photo on the badge. Wasn't there supposed to be a photo on an FBI ID? Her hand dropped. Uh, do you have anything else? She asked. The man dropped the badge away from the camera and frowned. Any other ID? Something with your photo on it? No. He paused, then said again. Can I come in? I'm FBI. What is it about? Carolyn asked. I'd rather talk to you about it inside, Miss Price. Then again. Can I come in? Carolyn took a deep breath. Something felt wrong. No, I'm sorry. I I don't think so. But I'm FBI. It's important. Well, she thought for a moment, then said, What's your name? I'd like to call and verify that you are who you say you are, and that you're supposed to be here. Suddenly embarrassed, she added, I'm sorry to be difficult, but we have to be careful these days. You know how it is. The man stood in silence for a moment. Then he tucked his badge back into his pocket and shook his head. Never mind, miss. I'll speak to one of your neighbors. Have a nice evening. Oh. Uh, Okay. Bye. Carolyn frowned and went to put the receiver back then stopped, watching the screen. The man stood there for a few minutes, doing nothing, 
seemingly in thought. Then he turned and walked away, turning left onto the sidewalk. He didn't press any of the buttons for the other apartments in the building. He just left. Carolyn stood staring at the shot of the empty doorstep, a slow chill running up her spine. What the hell was that about? She wondered as she replaced the receiver and the screen went black. FBI? What would the FBI want to talk to her about? And why was he acting so creepy? Returning to her computer, she opened a new tab, looking away from her online training course and typed how to tell a genuine FBI agent into the search bar. A few clicks later, and she was on the FBI's public website. FBI agents usually, though not always, travel in pairs. FBI agents will always show you their badge straight away and will show it again if you ask. They will have two, one on their belt and one with their ID. If you ask, they will always give you their badge number. An FBI agent's ID will always have a photograph and will have the full title Federal Bureau of Investigation at the top. If in doubt, call the police. An FBI agent will always wait while you verify their identity. FBI agents are required to carry firearms. These will usually be worn on their belts or in an underarm holster. If you ask, they will show you where their gun is. There were some other points, but Carolyn had read enough. Her hand shot out for her cell phone, and she dialed 911. 911, what is your emergency? I just had a man come to my door claiming to be FBI, but I don't think he was, and he might still be outside, Carolyn said, the words coming out in a rush. He didn't give me a name or a badge number, and he didn't have the right ID. What should I do? All right, miss. Stay calm. I'll dispatch some officers to your location. What is your address, please? Four nights later, at around the same time, the buzzer went again. Carolyn, in her bathrobe, and crossing from her bedroom to her bathroom for a shower, froze in the hallway. The front door and the entry phone beside it was just a few steps in front of her. She stared at it suspiciously, as if it might come to life and attack her. The buzzer rang a second time, deafeningly loud out here in the tiny hall, really just a small rectangular space between doors, She flinched. When the police had visited after the so-called FBI agent's visit, they had searched the area but found no one suspicious lurking around. They had also gotten in touch with the FBI and confirmed that no agent had been sent out to talk to her or to anyone in the area. The police had assured her it was probably just some prankster. It was October, after all, and Halloween always brought out the jokers and the crazies. But then they'd also warned her not to open the door to anyone she didn't recognize. You did the right thing, the thankfully female police officer had assured her. She wondered if they deliberately made sure one of the officers was a woman. If they had, she appreciated it. Not that she supposed women were any less dangerous than men, really, but it was comforting, nonetheless, and she... 
A long, impatient blare of sound made her jump. She swore softly and crossed to the entry phone, snatching up the receiver. Before she said anything, she looked at the figure on the screen, and the sour tang of bile rose in the back of her throat. It was the same man. She was sure of it. Same suit, same duffel bag, same short, cropped hair. She took a deep breath to study her nerves and put the receiver to her ear. Yes? Carolyn Price? Yes? Delivery. For a moment, she was astounded and just stared blankly at the screen. She'd fully expected him to say FBI again and had been ready to tell him exactly why she knew he wasn't what he said he was. But... Delivery? Miss Price? Uh, what delivery? She stammered out. The man shifted his weight from one foot to the other. I have a package for you. He said. Can I come in, please? What package? Carolyn demanded. I can see you on the screen. You don't have a package. The man paused, then lifted the duffel bag. It's in here. Then get it out and show it to me. The man didn't move. Which delivery company are you from? Carolyn persisted. Why aren't you in a uniform? Budget courier, miss. The man replied. We don't have uniforms. Then show me the package, Carolyn said again. It's in the bag, the man repeated. Then take it out. The man didn't move. Carolyn sighed. (sighs) If you really have a package, you can leave it on the doorstep, she said. That's not secure, miss. The man replied. I have to give it to someone. Can I come in? No! She almost shouted down the receiver. Come back in the morning and give it to the building manager. I'm not letting you in. After a long pause, the man nodded. I'll do that. Good night, miss. Carolyn didn't reply, watching in silence as he walked away from the doorstep. Again, he turned left on the sidewalk and disappeared out of the shot. The moment he was out of sight, she slammed the receiver into its cradle and ran for her phone, which she'd left in the bedroom. 911, what is your emergency? I've had a man try to get me to let him into my apartment. He was here a few nights ago. Three nights later, Carolyn was trying to get on with her online training course. For the last two nights, she'd had friends over, but nothing more had happened and she felt foolish asking them back for a third night in a row, though they'd offered. The police had taken a thorough statement, she reminded herself, and canvassed the neighbors. They'd turned up only minutes after the man had left and found no sign of him. He couldn't get into the building unless someone buzzed him in, and now everyone in the building had been warned about him. So... She was perfectly safe. Still. She sighed and read the passage on mental health reforms for a third time. 
It just wasn't sinking in. She was too nervous. She wished she had asked her friends to come over again. The quiet in the apartment was unnerving. She glanced at her watch. 7.53 p.m. Maybe she had just put on a movie and... She shrieked, jerking back in her chair and knocking a half-full glass of cola to the floor. It landed on its side and shattered, spilling brown liquid across the laminate floor, unheated. Don't answer it, she thought. Then almost immediately... Actually, no. Do answer it, but take your phone with you this time and call the police while he's there. Grabbing her phone from where it lay on the desk... She stood up and marched across the room to the front door, snatching up the receiver before she could lose her nerve. Sure enough, the man in the dark suit was standing there, looking up at the camera, face indistinct, duffel bag in hand, as if he'd never left. Of course he left, she admonished herself. You watched him leave. And you've been out twice to go to work, and he wasn't outside then, was he? Get grip, girl. She raised the receiver to her ear. What? She barked. If the man was surprised by her tone, he didn't show it. Carolyn Price? Yes, she said through gritted teeth. I'm conducting some market research, and I'd like to ask you a few questions about your mobile phone use, he said. Can I come in? She glanced down at the phone in her hand. Did he know that she... No, that was ridiculous. Market research, she replied. Really? Then shouldn't you have a clipboard or something? The man gave no reply. You know what? Forget it. She snapped. I know you're not market research or a delivery guy or FBI. I don't know who you are, but if you have a problem with me, you have five seconds to tell me what it is because then I'm calling the police. The man remained silent for a moment. Then he gave a slow nod and said, Can I come in? No! Carolyn cried and slammed the receiver down. Almost immediately, she picked it back up, and the screen, which had gone black as the receiver hit the cradle, flickered to life again. He was still there. Her fingers tapped across her phone screen as fast as she could, and she slapped it to her ear so hard it stung. 911, what is your emergency? My name is Carolyn Price. The strange man is at my door again right now. He's trying to get me to let him in again. Send somebody now, please! She could feel tears threatening, and she had to choke out the last few words. As she forced them out, she kept her eyes on the screen. The receiver gripped in her other hand like a weapon. As she finished talking, the man turned slowly and stepped off the doorstep. He turned left onto the sidewalk and disappeared from view. As the 911 operator went through the now-familiar litany of what she should and shouldn't do, Carolyn replaced the receiver and headed back into the living room. Then, she dropped the phone and shrieked as her eyes fell on the bloody footprints laid out across the floor, headed toward her. 
The operator's voice squawked in alarm, startled out of her professional calm. It was several long seconds before Carolyn finally noticed the pain in the soles of her bare feet, and before her eyes registered the broken glass by her desk. She'd cut her feet. The blood was hers. There was nobody else here. The strength went out of her legs, and she sat down hard on the floor. She reached out for the squawking phone, which was thankfully unharmed by the fall, and put it back to her ear. I'm okay, she said weakly, leaning against the wall behind her. I'm, I'm fine. It's okay. He's gone now. It's just so weird. It's like he's not even trying to convince me. Carolyn said the next night to her friend Roz. The first time, he almost had me fooled with the suit and the badge, but every other time he just shows up with his suit and his bag and says he's something else. He's not in a uniform. He doesn't have an ID or, like, equipment. He didn't even have a package when he said he was delivering a package, for God's sake. Roz nodded and poured Carolyn some more wine. He's just messing with you, she assured her. Just playing tricks, like the police said. Halloween. He's just some loser out to scare you. Then how does he know my name? Carolyn protested. Every time he's come, he's addressed me by name. First thing he says. Roz shrugged. Is your name on your bell? Carolyn shot her a withering look. What am I, 90? Please, I know better than that. All right, sorry. Roz sighed. (sighs) Are you sure you didn't recognize him? Carolyn shook her head. The picture on the screen isn't clear enough. I couldn't make out his face, but who do I know who'd want to scare me like that? Uh, Your ex? (sighs) Graham is blonde. This guy's got dark hair. Besides, we're still friends. Roz gave her a critical look. Really? Because that's not what I heard. Oh, come on, Carolyn groaned. I know I screwed up, and I know I hurt him, but I've apologized, and he's accepted my apology, and we've moved on. Okay, so I'm probably not on his Christmas card list anymore, but we're civil, we talk, and... Even if he was still mad at me, he's not the kind of guy to play weird pranks like this. Roz shrugged again. You never know what someone's capable of, she muttered, taking a sip of her wine. Okay, but if it had been Graham, I would have recognized him, Carolyn protested. The screen's bad, but it's not so bad I wouldn't recognize a guy I spent nine years with. All right! Okay. Roz raised her hands in defeat. Sorry I suggested it. She glanced at her watch and grimaced. Look, I have to go. I'm on an early shift tomorrow. Already? Carolyn said, dismayed. It's only 7.30. And my shift starts in just over seven hours. Roz replied, standing up. Sorry, sweetie. Look, why don't you go stay with someone for a few days? 
Surely you know someone who has a couch you can crash on? She paused, then added, I'd offer, but my housemates... It's fine. Carolyn smiled sadly. But you know, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I'll call my mom and see if I can stay with her for a while. Have you told her about this? Are you kidding? She'd have me move back home in a heartbeat. Well, that sounds like a plan. Roz put her bag over her shoulder and fished out her phone. But I really have to go. I need to get a shower and some sleep before my shift. And under the circumstances, I think I'll get an Uber home. Carolyn smiled. Thanks, Roz. I appreciate you coming back with me. No problem, sweetie. You take care of yourself, you hear? And try not to worry. The police are right. He can't get into the building. Halfway to the door, she paused. Maybe don't answer the buzzer in the evening anymore. If he doesn't get a rise out of you, he might quit. If he's just in it to scare you, I mean. Carolyn nodded, getting up to walk her to the door. That's a good idea, too. I'll give it a try. They hugged, and Carolyn closed and locked the door after watching her friend disappear down the stairway. Now that she was alone, the silence in the apartment was oppressive. I should get a bird or something, she muttered to herself, then snorted. A stupid idea. She hated birds. She wasn't keen on animals in general, thanks to her allergies. She wandered back to the living room and sat on the couch, where she and Roz had been sitting moments before, and picked up her wine glass. Roz's glass still had a little left, and after a moment of consideration, she shrugged and poured what was left into her glass and took a big swallow. She didn't normally drink red wine. It made her sleepy, but she could use a little help getting to sleep tonight. She switched on the television for some background noise, but... All that was showing was horror movies and crime dramas. She switched it off again. She took another deep swallow of her wine, relishing the growing fuzziness in her brain. The clock on the wall ticked quietly. Ten minutes passed as she watched. Fifteen. Twenty. He always buzzed at just before eight. The hands moved up too. 7.53, blood went cold. Her hand tightened around the wine glass. Don't answer, she thought. She took another drink of her wine. Don't answer. She finished the wine in her glass and picked up the bottle. Damn it. It was empty. She put the bottle and the glass back down. Go away! She moaned, burying her face in her hands. Her fingers grasped at her hair and pulled. Go away! Go away! I'm not answering the door! Go away! Who fuck you! She cried, leaping to her feet and running to the front door. Snatching the receiver up, she yelled into it, Leave me alone! The man was looking up at the screen. Carolyn Price, 
Fuck you! She snarled. You know damn well who this is. Leave me alone, did you hear me? I'm not going to let you in, so just fuck off! The man didn't even flinch. Maintenance, you reported a leaky tap. Can I come in? No, I didn't! And you're not maintenance. I know who maintenance is. A short pause, and then... I'm from the gas company, Miss Price. We've had reports of a leak in the building. Can I come in? What? She stared at the little screen. His face was still too fuzzy to make out. But the way he was staring up at the camera, it was like he was looking through the screen, right at her, right into her eyes. I'm here to deliver the good news about Jesus Christ. Can I come in? Carolyn was dumbfounded. (laughs) Pizza delivery, Miss Price. Can I come in? No longer pausing to hear her answers, he went on. I have a package for you, Miss Price. Can I come in? My car broke down and I need to use a phone. Can I come in? Market research, Miss Price. Can I come in? Police, Miss Price. We've had reports of a disturbance at this address. Can I come in? FBI, Miss Price. I need to talk to you about a sensitive issue. Can I come in? No. Carolyn screamed into the receiver. No, 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 no. Slamming it back into the cradle, she sunk to the floor and curled up, her knees to her chest, arms over her face, hands covering her ears, trying to block out the sound of the buzzer. She woke up on the floor in the early hours of the morning. She couldn't remember when the buzzer had stopped. She felt weak and sweaty, and her mouth tasted sour. The lights were all off, and the apartment felt claustrophobically small. Too weary to stand, she crawled into the living room and located her phone. Still on the floor, she typed Mom in and selected her number. A sleepy voice answered. Hello? Carolyn? Honey? What's wrong? Hi, Mommy. She replied. Her voice was small and shrill, like a child's. I'm sorry to wake you, but I was wondering if I can come stay with you. There was a pause. Now? If that's okay. What's happened? Are you alright? Mom, can I tell you about it when I get there, please? I just don't want to be alone in my apartment right now. Well, of course, honey. Come right over. I'm just... It's the middle of the night is all. I thought... uh, I got worried. I know, Mommy. I'm sorry. I'll be there soon. I love you. Bye. She hung up and forced herself to get to her feet, then walked on shaky legs to the bedroom, pulling a bag out of her wardrobe. A duffel bag, she noticed with a chill. She pulled some clothes out of the drawers and stuffed them in, then went into the bathroom and grabbed all the toiletries she used each morning. Then she carried the bag into the living room and picked up her phone charger and keys. 
Finally, she went back out into the hall, pulled on a jacket, slipped on her sneakers, and unlocked and opened the front door. Standing on her doormat was a man in a dark suit, a duffel bag in one hand. In his other hand was a small gun. Carolyn looked up, senses dulled by a kind of tired shock, and even as she felt the heavy punch of the bullet in her gut and the neck in her chest, her eyes stayed fixed on his face, his blurry, indistinct face. He was right in front of her. Her mind protested as she fell backwards into her tiny hallway. But his face was still blurry. He wasn't on the screen anymore. But his face was still blurry. Her vision slid to the right, and she was looking at him sideways. Still, his face was indistinct and fuzzy. She drew a breath to speak, and it was like breathing fire. But her arms and legs felt icy cold. Who? She gasped as he raised the gun and pointed it at her face. Who let you in? Mrs. Cartwright hurried to the spy hole in her front door and peered out. That loud noise had sounded awfully like a gunshot, and it had come from right outside her door. What was that young tearaway next door up to now? She looked out, and the fisheye lens gave her a distorted view of a man in a dark suit. His head turned to look in her direction. There must have been something wrong with the lens because his features were blurry, as if the glass was smudged. She jumped back in surprise when he stepped forward and knocked at her door. Small, polite taps. Mrs. Cartwright? FBI. Can I come in? Testing, testing. This is take two of the outro because I rambled for too long in my first take. (laughs) Thank you so much to all of my authors. Shout out to my neighbor for honking right now. Um, Thank you, authors. This episode, I feel like was really great and it was so fun working on these stories like every single one was a joy in its own and they were all so different it's great thank you so 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 much um thank you to all of you who are new here um thanks for following do me a favor and tell a friend about the show that'd be cool um love to grow the show and you know it's yeah (laughs) there's still merch available i'm very tired i'm sorry um I like I'm never tired every week like I don't say the same thing every week I'm so tired this week I'm actually not baking today I'm gonna bake tomorrow because I'm tired um so yeah uh I would like to say um I I, I'm so sorry I my I I don't even know how to even phrase this to all of those of you who are in the southern states dealing with the snow and ice and lack of infrastructure and lack of government assistance and I hope that you're all safe and healthy and warm and if you're not then let me know please reach out to me um because I 
I just can I have so many friends in Texas right now who are not right now like I all they're always there but right now who are who've been telling me just what they've been going through and it's astonishingly awful and I am so sorry um I think that's it go follow the show on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook I want to maybe this weekend do a like a Facebook live or an Instagram live at some point I want to kind of go back and forth between the two because some don't have Facebook some don't have Instagram and so yeah um I think that's all for now. I'm going to update the website. I know a lot of you have been telling me that my website is out of date, and it is, and I'm sorry. Um, the merch, you'll just have to go through the show notes because I don't have it updated on the website yet. I'm rambling again. This is take two. I wasn't supposed to. Okay. All right, everyone. I love you all. Go drink water. Go get some sleep and sweet dreams. Item number SCP-5186 SCP-7160 SCP-7533 Object class Euclid Keter Safe Special containment procedures Spreading across the hemisphere and kicking up vast amounts of ash and dust <laughs> The only thing I could hear was 7219 <laughs> laughing <laughs> Do you remember your name? Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. I feel them again. Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. They're in my ears! Heartland Counseling. Appointment update. Nobody understands! SCP Archives is a weekly fiction podcast. Each episode, we dive into the strange, the unknown, and the... Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at scparchives.com.